Awesome. Well, today's uh, we're doing the lectionary, so I've just been doing that through COVID. And for those that don't know, the lectionary is a long-standing um, set of scriptures put together a long time ago. It's a three-year cycle, year A, B, and C, and essentially every day there's an Old Testament reading, a psalm or a proverb, uh, an epistle, and a gospel, right? The, the, a reading from each of those. If you do all the lectionary readings, you would read through the entire Bible in, in the three-year cycle, right? Sundays in particular, though, they select readings that often have common themes and overlapping uh, nuance. It's, it's great. It's a real challenge as a pastor because I, I don't get to choose it, right? It's like, here you go. Uh, today's uh, scripture is not easy in particular, right? It's, it's a little bit of a challenge. And my perspective on it is going to differ, I'm guessing, from some of you. I, I want that to be okay. Joe Banker does not speak for God. Uh, the Bible is this beautiful, beautiful thing. The Bible has been inspiring people, changing hearts redeeming lives for thousands of years, right? I Imagine, right? The Bible is a wonderful thing. But as a Christian, my perspective is the Bible is not God. The Bible is a tool we use to connect to God. The Bible is a tool to help me be in right relationship with God and with each other, right? Um, we don't worship the Bible. I think of the Bible as having the same nature as Jesus, right? So Jesus is human and divine. And we don't have too many issues with that, right? Like I picture Jesus being human, like, uh, I don't know, Jesus broke wind around the prayer circle every once in a while, like, oh, human, right? Or whatever. Jesus gets lost in Jerusalem, doesn't know where he is. Like, oh, I thought I was supposed to make a left on whatever, Judaism way. I, I made a right. I'm guessing Jesus like built a shelf that wasn't perfectly level, smashed his finger with a hammer, uh, got factual information wrong from time to time, right? Like the mustard seed is the smallest seed, which, right? But the fact that Jesus is human got hungry. I think Jesus had feelings of like sexual feelings even, right? He didn't act on them. He didn't sin. But I think he was really, really human. This is my view, right? I think of Jesus as being human, but also divine, fully connected to, the, to God, to the Spirit, did not act on those desires, did not sin. But, but very human, right? Mistakes are not sin. Getting hungry, being tired, getting annoyed, being frustrated with Pharisees, saying, I got to get out of here and rowing his boat to the other side to be alone. That's all very human, he wasn't just some like ethereal being that never got frustrated, didn't feel pangs of anger or bitterness, or like in the garden where he's in tears, like, God, please don't send me to the cross. Take this cup from me. But in the end, Jesus is able to overcome those in step with the Spirit and, and be divine, right? Be the Savior of the world. I think of Scripture much like I think of Jesus as being both human and divine. Human beings write the Bible as it's being inspired by God, right? God doesn't dictate the words, I don't believe. There are many Christians who disagree with me. If you're one of them, that is okay. I'm giving you a perspective that I would love at any point to talk more about with you. We can go to coffee. We can discuss. I'm fully open to the fact that I might be wrong about this, right? But I think of scriptures like human and divine. Human beings are writing it from their cultural context, from their educational context. And God is inspiring those things such that they will redeem, transform, 
and inspire people for centuries, right? There's clearly something about Scripture that's not just human, but I wouldn't want to ignore the pieces that are. So this requires us as Christians to engage the Bible and recognize it's difficult, it's messy, it's not easy. We have to be humble in we, when we approach it. We have to be prayerful and ask God to help us, help inspire our interpretations, Lord. Give us insight. And not just as individuals, but as communities, right? Uh, and the beautiful thing about the Bible is when we wrestle with it, it draws us into relationship with God. As I'm reading and wrestling and thinking and praying, I'm drawing close to God for help. So there's almost a beauty in the fact that reading Scripture is difficult and messy, right? That's all my caveat, by the way. So you can imagine how long the sermon's going to... No, I'm kidding. It won't be that long. But uh, So let's read. So the, the lectionary Scripture comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 31. So this is Paul writing to uh, a church or to the churches at Corinth, right? And uh, some of his uh, advice and teachings. Nevertheless, each person should live the kind of life that the Lord assigned when he called each one. This is what I teach in all the churches. If someone was circumcised when called by God, he shouldn't try to reverse it which I have, no, <laughs> I have no idea what reversing a circumcision looks like, and I don't really want to know. Um, if someone is not circumcised when called, there's no need to get circumcised. This is very controversial at the time because there were many Jewish people who became Christian who felt like if you want to be Christian, you have to get circumcised. This is a real debate, a real argument. So Paul's saying, nope, no need to get circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And not being circumcised is nothing. What matters is keeping God's commands. Each person should stay in the situation they were in when they were called. If you were a slave when you were called, don't let it bother you. But if you are actually able to become free, take advantage of the opportunity. So don't go searching for it, but if, it, if it's an option, take it. Anyone who was a slave when they were called by the Lord has the status of being free in the Lord. In the same way, anyone who was a free person when they were called is now Christ's slave. So we're sort of all now God's people. We all have the same status, whether slave or free. You were bought and paid for. Don't become slaves of people. Be slaves of God. So then, brothers and sisters, each of you should stay with God in the situation you were in when you were called. I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married, but I'll give you my opinion as someone you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. If you are married, don't get a divorce. If you're divorced, don't try to find a spouse. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if someone who hasn't been married gets married, they haven't sinned. But married people will have a hard time. And I'm trying to spare you that. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. The time has drawn short. From now on, those who have wives should be like people who don't have them. Those who are sad should be like people who aren't crying. Those who are happy should be like people who aren't happy. Those who buy something should be like people who don't have possessions. Those who use the world should be like people who aren't preoccupied with it. 
Because this world in its present form is passing away. That's, those are some hard words. Uh, I want to look in particular at two topics that Paul raises here. Slavery and marriage. In another place in Corinthians, Paul says it's better to stay single like me. Only if you are weak and can't control yourself sexually should you be married. Because if you're single, you can give yourself wholly to God. Here he seems to reaffirm that if you're single, don't look for a wife. Don't look for a husband, right? So he's saying some things about marriage that don't fit the cultural norm where we're at. He's saying some things that's about slavery that make me very uncomfortable. And so I want to talk about these things. We put these in a category called Paul's social teachings. Paul talks about sexual immorality. Paul talks about marriage. Paul talks about slavery. Paul talks about economics and wealth. They're like these social teachings. And what do we make of them? Right? How do we understand them? Or how do we make sense in the, in the 21st century? So slavery first. Um, this is not the only time Paul talks about, hey, if you're a slave, don't, don't worry too much about it, right? In Ephesians, he says it even stronger. Ephesians 6, 5 reads, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and respect with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ... Do it even when they're not watching you. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. And I can just tell you, this makes me very uncomfortable, these teachings about slavery. And many of us understand in the United States, right, these passages were used to justify chattel slavery, right? To justify enslaving peoples, treating them horribly, giving them no wages, using them as a means of economic advantage, right? And, and the Bible was the justification. And so I think we have to read carefully when Paul says these things like, what's, what's going on here? So I want to say a couple of things. The first is the type of slavery Paul references is different. So it, it is not the kind of chattel slavery where you take a group of people away from their land, enslave them for labor. This was typically, slavery was seen as a kind of indentured servitude. When individuals would get into debt, they would have to, they would sometimes lose their land. Uh, they would have to go to work to try to pay off their debt. But often the interest that was being accumulated was, was so much more than the wages they were being paid. So the debt grew to such an extent that it was like they could never get out of it. So they would spend their whole life um, in financial slavery, in debt to the landowner, right? So it seems as though Paul's probably referencing this type of slavery, but that doesn't make me feel a whole lot better because it's still an incredibly unjust system where the poor are being taken advantage of, interest is being charged at an exorbitant rate, and they essentially had to work for almost nothing, right? Work in such a way that they were working for free for landowners. What's interesting is that the Old Testament has a way of dealing with this cycle of debt, uh, so like Leviticus 25 in the law, it talks about the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, you were supposed to cancel financial debts, right? So the Israelites would cancel all financial debts, which would give freedom to that person who's found themselves in debt. 
every 49th year, every seventh jubilee on the 49th year, not only did you cancel debts, but all of the land returned to the tribe and family that originally had ownership of it. So it completely leveled the playing field every 49 years. So the Bible actually has a way of dealing with slavery, this type of slavery. But Paul doesn't reference Leviticus 25 here. Paul doesn't say, set your slaves free, cancel their debts. Paul tells slave owners, be good to your slaves, treat them well. But, but why? Why doesn't Paul say slavery's wrong? Don't do it. It's unjust. It's immoral. You treat the poor poorly. Like, why doesn't Paul just come out strongly against? This is not an easy question to answer, right? This, this is difficult. Paul doesn't say the stuff I want him to say. If we look at the passage we read a little closer, I'm going to give you my perspective, my take on this. Paul is telling all people, stay in the station you were at when you were called. If you were poor, don't worry about it. If you were a slave, don't worry about it. If you're single, stay single. Married, married, divorced, stay divorced. Don't, don't worry about improving your circumstances in this life. But if I ask, well, why is Paul saying that? The uh, evidence, as I see it, becomes clear in Paul's view of eschatology, Paul's view of like when Christ is going to return, uh, when all of this will be put right, when the kingdom of God will show up in full, right? And Paul thinks it's going to happen any day. So these are the words we read earlier, right? So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. Stay in the situation you are in. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. The time has drawn short. From now on, those who have wives should be like people who don't have them. Those who are sad should be like people who aren't crying. Why? Because this world in its present form is passing away. I believe Paul is clear in his mind that Christ is going to return any day and that the kingdom of God will be established in full. So there's no reason to try to be free if you're a slave. Right? You're going to be free in the kingdom of God any day now. There's no reason to try to get married. Christ might come back tomorrow. We need to give ourselves fully to God, right? Stay in the situation you're in to right, from my perspective, stems from Paul's view of when the kingdom is going to come. And this doesn't come from nowhere. Paul's view doesn't stem out of the blue, right? I'm going to read to you briefly Matthew 16. These are the words of Jesus, right? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life must lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell of you, some of you standing here today will not taste death before the Son of Man comes in His kingdom also. So Jesus preaches that the kingdom will come before some in the audience will die. 
This creates the common view in the early church. So there are many accounts of the early church. You know, the emperor Nero starts burning towns and villages, and they start coming out in the streets worshiping God because they're convinced this is, this is going to bring about Jesus' return, right? They believed it was going to happen any day, and I believe Paul thought the same. So instead of Paul teaching the end of slavery, the end of injustice to the poor, instead of Paul continuing the Old Testament teachings of marry, be fruitful and multiply, start families, he's like, stay single. I believe the motive for many of these teachings is Paul's view of when God's kingdom will return. But sitting here 2,000 years later, it seems as though Paul was overly optimistic about Christ's return. I recognize what I'm saying is controversial, right? I'm suggesting Paul's worldview, right, was not accurate. He had a view of Christ's return that didn't come to fruition. And I'm also suggesting that because of his view, he has certain social teachings that we would do well to question. That we should not endorse slavery. That our, our voice as Christians should not be slaves obey your masters. Poor folk keep tolerating the injustice of the wealthy. I don't think that should be our primary voice. I don't know when Christ will return. And I don't know when God's kingdom is going to be established in full. I do know as a Christian I'm here to pave the way for the coming of the Lord. That we're to do the work of justice and love and compassion in the world. To make way so that when Christ returns we're ready. Our hearts are in the right place. Our eyes have been fixed on God. I believe Paul thought it was going to happen so soon that some of his social teachings shift. So I'm not sure it's better to stay single. I mean, I don't think it's wrong to stay single, right? If you can give yourself wholly to God, what a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with being single. But there are places where Paul says it's better to stay single if you can. And I think I'm not sure about that. I, I, I am the man I am because of my marriage in many respects. I, that, that has helped me to serve God in a much better way, having children, doing these things. So if we're not sure when Christ is going to return, to me it seems like we would, we would participate in those biblical teachings that talk about marriage, being fruitful and multiplying, having children and families and loving those families. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold intention, right? I'm not just going to like throw them out of the Bible or something. I want to have a tension with those scriptures that deal with slavery, that talk about staying single. And I want to say, where does this stem from in Paul? How does this look? As I talk to all of you, does this sound crazy to you? Does this seem reasonable? Is this something we would want to engage in dialogue? And again, and I'm happy to continue doing that. I recognize not all will agree. I think my larger point of today's sermon is something like this. Christians should be very careful, very cautious, very thoughtful before we say, well, you know, the Bible says this. And then we just use that as an immediate justification, right? Because the Bible's been used in all kinds of harmful ways. It's been misused, I would argue. So let us be very cautious to say, well, the Bible clearly says X and then run down that road. Instead, again, I think the Bible invites us into a dialogue, into a, a wrestling match, into a relationship. But if we do it humbly and if we do it well, it will actually bring us closer to God and to one another. Instead of focusing on these particular social principles, I wonder if it, we would do, do well, if it would be better for Christians to step back and say, 
What are the, the large overarching moral virtues, moral principles, moral concepts to live into? Rather than the details, right? The, the larger issue is God's a God of justice, not of slavery. God's a God of love, not of hate. A, of compassion and not judgment. Can we live into those principles? Can we take those to the bank? Can we be a, a light in our community with those rather than, as Catherine mentioned in the prayers of the people, some of the ways in which maybe Christians have created greater trauma because of the way we get caught up into some of the particulars and maybe even the way I would argue we misrepresent Scripture. All I've said could be wrong. I'm open to that possibility. I prayerfully acknowledge, right, that this is me reading the text, saying, looking at Paul saying the time is drawing near, right? Looking at some of the teachings even of Jesus that the early church really felt like it was at hand. Since that hasn't happened and the kingdom still hasn't come in full, I pray maybe we would be a light to our community, to our nation, to our world. One that embodies those those moral principles we can take to the bank that seem like a firm foundation we can plant our feet in rather than focusing on those things that maybe divide, that create pain, trauma, and judgment. Well, I love you guys so much uh, and thank you um, for your grace in extending me rope today. Uh, let's, let's pray to God uh, that we continue to be unified in mission uh, and then we'll close in song. Lord, I'm grateful to you for this congregation. I'm grateful to you for Scripture and for your Word. Uh, I'm grateful that it's not easy. I'm grateful that in its difficulty, it forces me to come to you in prayer and in humility, um, in need of your insight and your wisdom. Uh, we're grateful to you, Lord, for your continued grace and compassion on us. Give us the courage today to be faithful. Uh, to be faithful just in like that next step your spirit has been calling us to in our faith journey. Amen. If you join in our closing song.